Welcome to Anthropology of Girlhood, a girlhood podcast about living up to your parents' expectations. I'm Alexa Ray Hack. I'm a comedian and storyteller, and I use she, her pronouns. My name is Micah Silver, and I'm an elementary educator, and I use they, them pronouns. Today we are talking about 1986's Stand By Me, a little one-off Rob Reiner film that we're doing just for fun to pad the schedule here. If you have not seen this movie... Go watch it. It's phenomenal. Yeah, I can't imagine that any, anyone has not seen this movie. If, you, if you've been in a literacy class at any point, I feel like you've seen this movie. Yeah. But if for some reason you haven't seen this movie, the plot is pretty simple. Uh, four friends decide to go on a camp out to try to find a dead body and grow closer as friends. Yeah. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at Anthropology267. Please leave a review and rate us on Apple Podcasts. It helps immensely. And as always, thank you and Did this movie make you as nostalgic for the Pacific Northwest as it did me? Oh my God, I was not expecting to be that nostalgic. Uh, no, I, I I totally forgot that this movie was set in Oregon. Right, because all of his movies take place in like... Yeah, because most of his movies take place in the Northeast. Right. In Maine, I thought Castle Rock was like the made-up town where all Stephen King novels happen. No, uh-uh. Castle Rock is like a real like train depot town in rural Oregon. Oh, well, that explains why. I th- they mention it once or twice, and I also noticed at the beginning when we see the newspaper like during the like framing device. Yeah. He's reading the Oregonian. Uh, yeah, I missed that. I like barely registered the paper. And the last scene, it took me like I had to pause it and read it because I can't read as fast as movies want me to read. Yeah. Uh, and it, I forgot that the framing device for this movie was looking back after his friend died. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of framing devices, right. We were just talking about, we were just talking about, oh, our lost episode, Princess the Princess Bride. Bride, how good the framing device is in that one. And in this one, you fully forget about it. I think they do a pretty good job of like following. I th- fully forgot. Till by the end, when he's like sitting in front of the word processor or the com- or whatever that is, I was like, "What the fuck? Who's this old man?" Oh, right, you're the. I mean, you get bouts of him narrating throughout, which yeah, helps, but you don't really understand. Like, it would have been. I would have found it helpful. And maybe I'm just like stupid, or I smoke a lot of weed. Um, it's not the first thing. Uh, <laughs> And it maybe would have been helpful for me to have like at just one scene in the middle where we like see him sitting down to write. Yeah, this. the like jump from the jump in, from in, in the car, car reading the thing to like in his office with his kids running in is like a little jarring. Yeah, because also where his house seems so much greener than the road he was on. Right. It's like, like where, where what where, happened? What is the transition here? Yeah. How long have you been strange. working on the story? Right. Exactly. Yeah. I could have used a little bit more more framing device. Even though like the narr- the narration is good. It's helpful. It it holds through on like in Virgin Suicides where like it yeah, was just like popped in and out disappears, wherever it wants yeah. you. But it does it could use more frame and less device. <laughs> totally. Cause also like unlike the Princess Bride, this is not a movie that requires this framing device. No, it does not. Like it requires thinking about this because this is a this is a, a movie that's like autobiographical for Stephen King because you know he's makes a writer. sense, but it, it's also like very much similar to like my journey as like a nonfiction writer who like writes about her childhood and stuff, Fair. and also who like grew up with disappointing you know disapproving like not understanding parents yeah i bet you really connected with this movie i really did but it's funny the framing device only exists so that we can have a button a so what at the end of the story yeah which is like also kind of the character Gordy learns through the course of the movie that you have to tell a story with a, like you have to put <laughs> a button, does. you have to put a so what on the end right. of the story there, in order to make, cause like he tells the pie story, the like yeah. pie eating contest story. And then all his friends are like, and, and, and that's like, that's why 
you have to put a button, you know, when you tell stories and when you write short fiction, like you have to put like a on the end for like why are we why do we care about this like touching story about your childhood like right. what did this mean what what does this what does this bring to the table what right why do we care yeah i remember i like i haven't seen this movie since high school probably when i had to watch it for like a film or a lit class or one of the two interesting I was fully prepared not to like it again because, like, it's about four boys looking for a dead body. It seems like... Yeah. But I love this movie. Yeah. It is so full of feelings. I don't even think about... It's so funny because, like, because the Stephen King story is called The Body. But I truly, when I think about this movie, do not think about the fact that they're going to find a dead body at all. And, like, that's not how I pitched it to Grayson when I told them to, we were going to watch it. I was just like, it's a story about some boys on a camping trip. Like, that's really what it is. It is. It's just that they're, like, bonding in the woods. And I think they all know, and we as an audience know, that that's what they're doing. And that is, like, one of the bonding activities that is allowable for them as right. a group of masculine people who, like, want to be closer but only have a limited number of outlets to do that. Right. These guys are such good, supportive friends to each other. It's amazing. It's incredible, especially looking at the male role models that they have. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's so amazing that so many of them have bad home lives and they still are, like, great, supportive, caring friends. Teddy full-on cries in front of them. Yeah, and like they just let him and yeah. it is not a big deal and they are just like they're holding him and letting him know it's going to be okay. Yeah. Like I don't know any masculine friends in no. this era, especially in this era. It's yeah. And the number of times that that Gordy and Chris Chris like break down in front of each other and like Nobody ever gets made fun of. Nobody ever. It's fantastic. Chris is one of the best friends characters I have seen written. And like, he is such a supportive, sweet, kind child. Yeah. Who like, like the fact that like the whole conversation while they're in the woods on the train tracks and, uh, Gordy and him are talking, Gordy and Chris are talking about like what school is going to be like now that they're going into junior high and yeah. how they're going to probably get split up because Gordy's a lot smarter. And yeah. Gordy's like, well, fuck that. I'd rather be with my friends. And Chris takes the time and goes, no, no. shut the fuck up. Yeah. Your success is more important than yeah. like, us. Don't dry, let us drag you down. And like takes the time to also like call out his dad for being a piece of shit and is like yeah. of course i would rather i be your father at least you would be getting the support you need right which like holy fucking shit you're 12 yeah that's amazing to have that level of like awareness at 12 right like jesus fucking christ and it just the heart that chris has that like you see throughout the movie that like stays with him through to adulthood and especially with how he was killed, um, trying to stop a fight because that's just who he was Yeah, is incredible. And I think is so important to have as an example for men that you can be this like paragon of masculinity. Cause Chris is a very masculine person. There's not like, yeah, no one ever questions his masculinity and like his, quote unquote ruggedness or whatever. Yeah. But he has got such a big heart and it cares right. so much and has more than two feelings. Right. Like those things are not mutually exclusive. Exactly. Like I think part of even if you buy into like the traditional view of masculinity as like, you know, provider and protector, like part of being a protector is like being aware of everyone's needs and like helping facilitate people's needs, whatever those are. Right. Like, and a lot of those needs are emotional. 
Yeah. Protecting people is not just about physical danger. It's also about emotional danger. Right. And like that, that can be part of it too. And like, there's no weakness in having emotions. Like it's way harder to have and to dissect and to deeply feel all of your emotions than it is to feel nothing. Like as good as it feels to feel nothing. Yeah. It's feel your feelings. Yeah. Feel your feelings. It's important. This is another one of those movies that is like a big hearty helping of boomer nostalgia. It's not even boomer. It's, greatest gen no if these if it's 1959 oh is it 59 i thought it was uh, and these kids are 12 that means they were born in 47 which makes them boomers i forget boomers have such a big age range yeah it's like 45 to 64 or something Something like that that. yeah because like i don't because my parents are boomers so like i think yeah i only know i i only know that the yeah, the high end, but I can't remember. It starts in the early. It starts right after World War Two, basically. Okay. So, so yeah, this is boomer nostalgia, and it's oh boy, is it chock full of it. And again, we're they're going like, wasn't it a simpler time where no, it was just all violence and yeah, your and and it was. I was talking about this with Grayson when we watched it that I there was a lot of freedom. That I think doesn't exist anymore, particularly absolutely. for children. Oh, absolutely. And I think that's so much of what we find in this nostalgia, because even I have some amount of like nostalgia for this time period that I never lived through, like the, you know, yeah. the 60s and the 70s. And a, a movie that I think has a very similar tone and evokes a very similar feeling to this one is The Sandlot. I was just gonna say. Right, which is set around the same time, kind of, and it has that kind of same, like, childhood freedom, you know, the world is your oyster feeling. And I think the reason that we all identify with it and crave it is that biologically like that is what childhoods are supposed to be like for for millions of years that like for millions of years like that's basically what childhood was it's almost like if you get rid of all of the outdoor space and you don't let children wander around and get into mischief they aren't as healthy and well uh right conditions for adulthood right and like the boomers and like the older Gen X folks were like the last people who had an opportunity to like go outside and play in an environment that was like outside and playable. Yeah, because even us, like, yeah, like I could a little, but right, I could because I come from a college town, right? And like in a college town, most things are walkable because. It's built for college kids who don't usually have cars and they live on campus and maybe they bike, but, you know, they get everywhere someplace, somehow else. And so, like, my town growing up was still very walkable. But, like, Madison's not. No, the place it is you not. grew up is terrible. It's you awful. Can- <laughs> I was lucky there was a park three blocks away, but I had to cross a really busy street with no yeah, crosswalk and yeah. no light. And, you know, so, like, I wasn't allowed to do that until I was, like, 9, 10, 11, when I could be trusted to look both ways and not get hit by a car. Yeah. Um, And even then, it's, like, my go-to places to hang out with my friends were public libraries. And, you know, we didn't really go on grand adventures. And... Yeah, we're... But also, like, girlhood doesn't allow you to go on as many adventures right i was thinking that same thing is like like i feel like i really missed out on like this go on a camping trip to bond with your friends because mm-hmm. like that sounds dope right and like as someone who just went on a camping trip to bond with their friends <laughs> right like i can appreciate given ours was a little bit more prepared than these kids were but whatever. oh my god we'll get to that uh oh, i have capital f feelings about that yeah ability. i'm sure we do both do um but like sleepovers were the closest I got to like campouts. Yeah, and 
there. Did you ever like do the thing where you like set up a tent in somebody's backyard and you would like camp in somebody's backyard? None of my friends wanted to. Oh, that's None of my sad. friends were outdoor friends. We did that in the summer constantly. I've got- I do think it was lightly an excuse for the parents to like have us not in the house. No, but like also. <laughs> but like great. Like everybody got something out of it. What a great way to be available for your children, but still give them the space and the privacy that they are craving in a right. sleepover situation. Totally. totally. You know, like that is. Yeah, I think that's a great sleepover situation. Like that way the kids get like privacy if that's what they're into. And like they're still close at hand if something is yeah needed. uh closest i got to tents was friends basements yeah that's Which not the same, same. No. and like you know it was instead of roasting hot dogs and debating what goofy is as a character <laughs> Which, Goofy is a dog. Goofy Pluto. is also a dog. The fact that they have two different sentient types of dogs... Is tricky. Very tricky. Yeah. And I feel somehow racist, but... It is, because Goofy is a, like a, a kind of black-coated character. Right. And it, it's tough. It's not it's great. Bad. It's not great. It's a bad scene. Anyway, instead of doing that... I got rom-coms and doing each other's nails and yeah. talking about boys, which... I, honestly, as a girl, that doesn't sound as fun. It's, <laughs> it's not like, like... I don't hate those things, but like that does not sound like a fun use of a weekend or a sleepover. Yeah. I'm like nostalgic for them because like I did have fun. Like we found ways to have fun. Yeah. But also sure. I think my equivalent version of that is like sleepover and like fighting vi- like video games. Yeah. And uh yeah. I feel like board games have now replaced movies for to- sleepovers. Totally. Yeah. Which I'm so for and not against. I just what I love watching movies. I think movies are fantastic. I don't need to be with a person to watch a movie. Right. <laughs> I can watch movies on I my own. I can watch movies by myself. Thank you very much. And then I can talk to the screen and no one gets mad at me. Right. Yeah. I just think like, I mean, I wrote it as kind of a, a bad thing in my notes, but it's kind of also an amazing thing. Like the lack of supervision in this movie of these children is truly astounding. It is. Uh, I think that, Especially with how we parent children today um, and how we grew up, the, well, how I grew up, uh, the involvement, how involved parents are with children's lives are to a degree better. Like, yes, you should be aware of what your children are doing and right. your children should not just be able to disappear for two days. Right, right. Like, like yeah, fuck. you shouldn't have to have PSAs that ha- remind you that you should check on your kids and know where they are. Right. But also... But also... You, you, should, like, you should be able to trust your kid to go wander off for a couple hours right. and know that they'll be okay. Right. Or you should give your child the freedom to wander off for a few hours and figure out how to be okay on their own. Well, yeah, a lot of this is the fault of car-centric cities. Oh, absolutely. Because I am told that this is not as much of a problem in, say, Europe, where a lot of the cities are more walkable. That makes sense. Kids are allowed to go do stuff because, like, they can walk and ride their bike places and they don't need someone to drive them everywhere. Yeah, I think the pendulum is definitely swinging back, starting to swing back the other way. Yeah. Especially because I think this new generation of parents, not all of them, but a lot of them are a lot more data and science driven than I think a lot of previous generations of parents. Also, this generation of parents grew up with helicopter parents and know what kind of damage that can do and how hard it is to... Because they're our age, yeah. Right, yeah, because they're our... Yeah, because our generation is now having children. Weird. Don't like it. Still weirds me out that I'm 28. It... Getting back to the, like, 1950s nostalgia thing. Yes. I think 
the specific choice of 1959 is really interesting. Why? Because it's it's boomer nostalgia for a time before we knew how terrible the United States was. It's pre the JFK assassination. Yup. It's pre Vietnam. It's pre uh, the civil rights movement. It's you know it's very pre sixties. Right, exactly. It's pre all of the like cultural upheaval of the nineteen sixties. Yeah, and especially like small town Oregon, right? Nineteen fifty nine. I like it feels so this movie feels so Americana. Yeah. And I really appreciate it because it really feeds into the nostalgia piece of it. Right. And like this movie isn't hiding from the fact that it's nostalgic. I think right. like because it is especially with the framing device of looking back on your childhood it is clearly like this is through a lens of nostalgia. Right. But like it is so like everything is so white picket fence and totally. you know just like and everything's so fucking cheap too yeah right they have less than three dollars and are managed to get like a whole day's worth of food like the fuck and like i think i uh, it also feels bad in a way because it makes me very aware of i don't know why this movie made me think of this but like i feel like this movie is what people are talking about when they say they want to make America great again. Oh, absolutely. Right? Because what they mean is they want to go back to a time where they didn't have to think about people of color, where they didn't have to think about gay people, where abortion was illegal and everyone was Christian, uh, or at least... Assumed so. Assumed to be so, or in hiding, right? Right. Yeah, it went back. To, it goes back it's, to it's, it's a it's a nostalgia for a lack of empathy and awareness. Exactly. Right. It's like before we knew that our politicians were corrupt, before we knew that we were colonialist monsters, before we knew that we were oppressing people of color and queers and et cetera, et cetera. Like, it's a nostalgia for ignorance. It is a nostalgia for ignorance. Because, like, again, looking at this movie, there are no people of color. There are no queers. There are no people of, like... There's hardly even any women. Right. There is one woman. Yeah. And she has one line. Yep. And it's a nagging, scolding line. Uh Uh-huh. Like... It's tough. God forbid, and now everyone's mad because Ariel's black. (laughs) (laughs) Like, God forbid that, like, especially... Right, because it it makes people think about people of color existing. And part of the the privilege of white privilege for so long has been the privilege of not having to see people of color exist in the world. And that's what they want back. They want everyone else back in hiding. Yeah. So they can pretend to be the only people again. Yeah. That's not happening. No. Because, like, we've been having this discussion all week about, like, how simplified and boxed in non-binary representation is in the media. And also how single-minded and single-slide, how single-lensed the autism experiences in media right and like how and that those things are never depicted as being intertwined which we now know is like a huge 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 deal huge deal (laughs) huge it's like a whole thing it's a whole thing how much shit have we consumed bad books bad movies bad cartoons because there is a single character who kind of reminds us of us. Right. And how fucking important is it to see yourself in media and in the world around you? Totally. And the fact that so many people see that 
sharing other people's stories is taking away from their own stories yeah is mind-boggling and disgusting yeah because like come on share the mic like it's not all about you the world does not revolve around you we all learned this as small children, except apparently we didn't all learn this as small children. Yeah. And that is terrifying to me. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, it just is like for so long, a part of being white was just being able to have the power of having control of everything and not having to listen to anyone else. Right. We should talk about the parents in this movie because each kid has an interesting set of... Yeah, all of them have weird fucked up home lives in different ways. And Um, I think we should start with Gordy since he is our narrator. And because I feel like, unfortunately, this is... I feel like, unfortunately, this is something that a lot of parents have had to deal with in recent years. Yeah. And that's losing a child while still having to raise another child. Right. Like I cannot imagine what losing a child is like. No. It's gotta be heartbreaking and one of the hardest things to go through. Yeah. You do not get to check out if you have another kid. Right. You do not get to check out. Yeah. I, this movie made me think about like the kinds of services that should be available to grieving parents and right? to grieving people in general, right? Like these people should have mandated therapy. They yes. should have like a mandated work leave. They need like it's just so clear that these his whole family is deep deeply grieving and is unable to process it in a healthy way because the resources don't exist because it's 1959 and they're in rural Oregon. Um, And so no one is able to like continue living a life and being a person because they've spent all their energy just like not feeling anything. Yeah. We say this all the time and I was talking about it with my coworkers yesterday because we all work in special ed and we deal with parents a lot. If you are not prepared that your child is different than you in any kind of way, then you're not prepared to be a parent. Then you are not prepared to be a parent because, because Gordy is an artistic kid. Yeah. And he's a brilliant writer. Uh huh. And he is like, and everyone and he's got a lot of potential and a lot of drive. Yeah. But because he doesn't fit into the same mold, his father expects him to fit into. Right. He's completely thrown to the side and ignored. It's like, and like I, yeah, I identified with this character a lot because like my parents did this same thing very much of like, it doesn't matter that you're successful if it's not the thing thing that we had in mind when we thought of success then right. that's what if it's matters. not our version of success it doesn't count right exactly it doesn't count like artistic success is not success and i think for a lot of people a lot of kids it's if it's monetary success yeah it's like if you don't get a high paying job then you're a failure regardless of whether or not you're like happy and fulfilled right and it's just like I don't know. I feel like a a part of being a parent is helping your kid to find the things that they want to succeed and excel at and like helping them to succeed where they want to rather than fitting them into a mold of like looking like you. What a revolutionary concept. Right. Children are people that right. are not, not carbon not, copies not carbon copies of their parents they're like actual human beings with feelings and motives and drive and aren't there to be sculpted into instagram ads yeah crazy what a thought what a thought so you've got gordy's parents you've got chris's parents who are just like not around right and he seems to be raised by his big brother. Who's a complete asshole. Yeah. And just like, 
again, is being raised by violence and threats and is still somehow turning out to be this incredibly soft, caring person. Yeah. Like, holy fucking shit. Yeah. Good for you, kid. Right. Um, and then you've got Teddy, whose dad is obviously very mentally ill and probably right. has PTSD. Right. And this is 1959, so we literally don't even have the term PTSD. No, and it's not going to be around for another 25 years. Well, yeah, we don't inv- we don't describe it that way until Vietnam vets come back. Exactly. Uh, and, you know, like, his... Devote Teddy's devotion to his dad and like his understanding for his father's predicament, yeah, is incredible. Incredible because, like, how I don't think I could defend a person who scarred me, yeah, physically, right? Like, I can barely defend people who scar me emotionally, right? Exactly, yeah, to be able to rise above and to understand that. His dad is not necessarily in control of his actions all the time in a way that would really be ideal for a parent to right. be, you know? Yeah. Um, and, like, yeah, th- this is probably one of those situations in which, like, you probably shouldn't have had kids if you have a mental illness that is this severe to the point where you are a danger to your children. Yeah. Yeah. But that was not really a thing that people talked or thought about, really, at this time. No, not having kids was not really an option. Yeah. And then I guess Vern's siblings are just awful. Sibling? Yeah, I guess I don't, we don't find as much out about Vern's home life as we do everybody else. His mom cleans his room. That's pretty much all we get. Right. Which he seems, seems lush. Yeah. <laughs> Compared to everyone else. Oh, and then I think it's interesting too, like you wouldn't you're an oldest sibling, so you wouldn't understand this, but there is also this thing, oh maybe you, you probably would. There's this thing that Gordy goes through too where his older brother is more six more like traditionally successful in a way that his parents approve of. And he's constantly getting this, and this is like a horrible thing to say to your kid, but like, why couldn't you be more like your brother? Yeah, don't say that to your children. Which, like, I got a lot of that when I was growing up because, like, my brother is like a straight person, right? To my knowledge, you know, like, he's like got traditional values and stuff, and the 2.3 kids, and like the dog, and the whole deal. And, like, that's not me, and that was never going to be me, and I knew that from Jump, and it was just, like, always a source of tension, like, why can't you be your brother? And it's like, well, first of all, woman, that's a, that's a big That's, <laughs> that's a, a big, big part. Yeah, I, as an oldest sibling, I definitely felt pressure to be the better sibling. Totally. And to, like, set the example and to, like, have that weight on me of, like, if I'm not performing perfection, then I'm not doing my job correctly and right. I'm therefore I'm failing. Yeah, I could totally see that. Which didn't help the fact that I was absolutely struggling at everything in life. <laughs> and it didn't help that it seemed like a lot of the standards that were set for me as an eldest child because I didn't meet them were suddenly not set for my younger sibling. Right. And like from my perspective, there was definitely more pressure put on me to go to college than there was my little brother. Uh-huh. And the fact that I dropped out of college, I think made a lot of room for him to not end up going to college yeah. and finding work other ways and finding what he likes to do other ways. And, you know, it, my little brother also just got engaged, which I'm having feelings about, <laughs> um, because like, you know, there is that like there, I have been having these feelings of like, well, why does he have it so easy? Like, why did he get it? Well, I mean, I have a couple of answers for you. I mean, it's because he's a straight cis white boy who never left the Midwest. Right. Yeah, you you got it. You don't need me. <laughs> <laughs> but like, yeah, and like having to like remind myself that 
I've had to spend the last decade of my life completely rebuilding myself. Right. Which... I think about that a lot, too. Like, oh, I haven't really done anything since college. It's like, bitch, no, you literally, like, destroyed and rebuilt your entire identity. Multiple and times. closet. Multiple, yeah. Like, you've been, you've been doing a lot of work. It's just not work that, like, leads to a high-paying job or, right. like, whatever. My version of success looks different than getting married at 20 getting married at 25 and settling down with kids and all of that. Yeah. You know, I'm fucking stable for the first time in my life. Right. And, and like, I know who I am and what I want for the first time. But yeah, like actually knowing, like, again, we've talked about this and how middle school should be spent figuring this out. So you don't have to do it in your twenties. Right. Cause like I could have done so much. My life could have been so different. If I had been given the chance to figure all this shit out as a teenager, as a teenager, right? Like and my brother did, where he got to figure it out right. from a young age right. and just knew what he was doing. Yeah. So yeah, don't let your don't compare siblings as a parent. Like, yeah, that was the whole point that, of that tangent. Was that the point of that tangent? Wow, we really <laughs> we, we really wander on this show. <laughs> We don't have any. What's issues. the structure of your podcast? Well, well um funny thing about funny that. Funny thing about that is there isn't one. We don't know her. There's a lightning round at the end. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, cuz especially <laughs> poor Gordy gets told he that people keep comparing him to his dead brother through this entire movie. Yikes. And his dad even says at one point like Oh, I think it's like a dream sequence. Maybe it, I can't remember. No, he like straight up says, why like, can't you why, have... No, he says like, why couldn't it have been you that died? I forgot about that. Yeah. Because it might have been a dream. I think it, it might have been a memory. I can't It was not clear. But still, like, that... That hurts. Sucks. That's got... And like, you see... Even poor... if that's just a thing you think your parents are feeling, like the fact that you have that vibe from your parents is like that's pretty yucky yeah that is gut-wrenching and like the whole scene at the end where it's just gordy and chris and gordy just like breaks down and like admits that he's the one who should have died because he no his dad doesn't like him and his dad doesn't approve of him and like you're 12 right you should not have to be worrying about the fact that your parents like you or not yeah Period. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of things these kids do that they shouldn't be able to do. Right. Because they're 12. But again, it was the 1950s and there was no supervision. Right. Because like these kids smoke. Yeah, like a lot. And have access to a loaded weapon. Yeah. That's upsetting. That's really upsetting. Although I bet... I bet in the 1950s, there was just a lot of Colt 1911s just out and about because that was the sidearm for our armed forces in World War II. Interesting. We got to talk about these kids like camp camping preparedness setup situation. Did you like me scream at your television when they all said, well, I thought you brought the food. <sighs> How did none of you bring a box of macaroni and cheese or a can of tuna or a jar of peanut butter? Nothing? I am more prepared for day-to-day life going to work than these kids are for this camping trip. These kids are prepared for this camping trip. Like, you all brought sleeping bags, but you didn't bring... Two of you brought water bottles. Yeah. That is not enough. Two... You're walking 30 miles in two days. 30 miles with two little canteens, like, and no food. Y'all, y'all, y'all. Like. And then he goes to the store and he buys one meal, not helpful, of hamburgers, a thing they don't have a way to cook. Right. Why not get hot dogs? Hot dogs? Were they even a thing back then? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes. Hot dogs definitely existed in 1959. I mean, at a butcher shop. Like, do you think? Uh, I mean, 
Yeah, but wasn't it just like a little grocery store? It was like a corner store with the butcher shop but attached. Sure, certainly they have like peanut butter. Right. Or canned oh, no. tuna. or These kids bought the wrong type of food. Canned beans. Like any other food would have been a better choice. These kids have obviously never been camping a day in their life. Right. Yeah, everybody knows if you have a nickel to spend on camp food, you just buy a loaf of bread and a jar of peanut butter. Yeah. Bing, bang, boom. Like, you can survive on a, a loaf of bread and a jar of peanut butter <laughs> for, for a while. For much longer than you'll be happy about. <laughs> you'll be you'll wish that you were dead by day three, but you will survive. You will not be hungry. <laughs> you will hate peanut you butter. You will hate everything, but you will be full-ish, kind of. <laughs> you will you have will things in your stomach. Things in your stomach, yes. And that, yeah, none of them bring like I, I get that it's like summer, but nobody brings like a raincoat or a first aid kit or like anything. Like I have a first aid kit on me when I go to work. Yeah, I have a first aid kit that just lives in my bag all the time because why wouldn't you? Right, like. Do you not like, is it an anxiety thing? Am I just prepared for the worst always? Uh, flashlight. Like what, what did you bring? Like, what is your plan? Like, right. Did you really just bring a sleeping bag? And we're like, we're just going to walk. It'll until be we- fine. Camping is just walking and sleeping, right? Sort of. <laughs> but also, I feel like this also feeds into like male audacity of like, I can just do whatever totally. I, I think. I can just walk into any situation totally unprepared. This is the same energy of every time I see a man walking down the street with no bag. Yeah, I'm like, how? What is... How is your audacity so powerful and your pockets so big that you can just like walk into your day with nothing, like no fanny pack, no purse, no backpack, nothing? You can just, I mean, given men have large pockets. Yeah, that's part of it. But also, I I think I would feel naked. I do. If I went out, like, even when I walk the dogs, I bring like a hip pouch. Yeah. If I wasn't wearing like a bag of any kind, I would feel lost. I don't know what I would do. It would be weird. I don't like it. Must be prepared. Yeah. Don't like it. Even if it's just a fanny pack, like I gotta have some stuff on me. What if I find a cool rock? <laughs> I'm just gonna slide it in my pocket with the rest of my shit? No, thank you. A big part of Gordy's static at home is that he's not successful in, like, sports and athletics. Yeah. And, like, this is another way in which I, like, identified with this character because, like, I think my parents made me try and play nine different sports. And I hated every single one of them and I was never good. But like that was their definition of success. And so I had to keep attempting their definition of success when like I much rather much would have rather like go to a a pottery class or like a creative writing class than than a than a soccer game. I mean, that's a mood. I played a couple sports in high school and played soccer as a kid. And, like, I enjoyed it. Like, I did enjoy it. And I do miss playing sports. I think there's a certain... There's dopamine that comes with it. That's all it is. Totally. It does create dopamine, and it's fun. But I was never, like, competitive. Yeah. Which you have to be. Right. Especially by the time you get to high school. Especially in high school. And, like, that was just never my vibe. And, like... I hated every moment of it. Yeah, I remember when I when my parents made me play football. And like all the like classic shame stuff that my like coaches and fellow players would try on me just like had no like I'd been so thoroughly shamed by my parents for being like soft and weak by that point that I was like you can't fucking hurt me. Like and and what you're saying too about the like not being competitive like I I enjoy some sport now mainly ultimate frisbee cuz I'm a big fucking dork but like I still don't fucking care about winning no. like people were like don't you want to win like no. no dude it's some fucking like pixels on a scoreboard like 
I care about moving my body and having fun with my friends. Like I could not give two shits about who puts up more points. No, I just want to hang around with people that I like yeah. and do when stuff. I, when I was in, uh, when I was in high school, we had this social ultimate game where it was literally just like a big 30 person hangout. And nice. Like, we, everybody kind of played at like 50% speed and we just like hung out and chatted and nobody kept score and just like when the sun would start to go down we would just be like okay last point wins and then like whoever got the like final the like that see that's the way sudden death point wins the game but like nobody cared again kind of pulling sandlot back into this like that was kind of the vibe that i was like i just wanted like i'll go to practice because it means hanging out with my friends and like it I get a rush of dopamine from moving my body and, you know, feel better about myself because I've pushed myself. But like, I don't give a fuck if we score enough points or if we are defending a title or whatever. I just want to have fun. Yeah. I don't, there was too much pressure on me. Yeah. To put all that pressure. I'm sorry. I cut you off and you're about to say the exact same thing I'm going to say. Yeah. I was like the amount of pressure it put on you and like the amount of pressure that you have as a teenager already to like perform perfectly and then to add like a sport onto it. And to like consider your body has to keep up with the demands of other people is absolute bullshit. Right. And especially when, like, so many sports can be so hazardous on, like, growing bodies. Right. Um, You know, I have a nephew who plays football, a fact about which I am not none too pleased, but, like, it's not my choice, and he fucking loves it. Look, I have a cousin who plays hockey. I get it. But, um, you know... It's really it's really bad for like tiny growing brains. I have a student who plays football and they're oh my nine. God, aren't your student yeah, I was gonna say, aren't your students in third grade? Yeah, fourth grade. My kids are nine and ten years old. Jesus Christ. And he's just starting to play tackle football. Tackle football? Yeah. He's nine? Yeah. And playing with older kids. I don't like that at all. I don't like it at all. This is one of the things that makes me feel like we might be we're kind of like old fuddy duddies. Like, I don't think that's good. I don't think kids should be playing sports. That's too dangerous. <laughs> I think kids should be playing it, sports. I, I don't think I, kids should be playing football. Right. No, that's exactly what I was going to say. I do think kids should be playing sports. I think kids shouldn't be playing contact sports. Yeah. I think kids don't need to be hitting each other. First of all, because like this country has like a real violence problem anyway and i don't yep. think encouraging young boys to hit each other from the age of nine is a good idea nope absolutely not and secondly just because yeah it's so bad for like tiny forming bodies you know get your kids to swim or play uh, yeah. soccer or basketball i mean even those things like granted you know when you're playing and it's younger this stuff doesn't happen as much, but like a lot, those sports can also still be hazardous. Oh like yeah. Getting, you know, in basketball, people get thrown to the ground all the time. And in soccer, people take fucking balls to full speed balls to the head a lot. Oh, I know. <laughs> and like, that is not any less dangerous no. than a head tackle. Sports are complicated. They're good, but also like, Don't make tiny children destroy their body for your entertainment. I want to talk about the sort of darker side of the male friendship in this movie. Yes. Because, like, yes, the caring and the support and the emotionality part of it is really great and really beautiful. But there's also a lot of violence and a lot of insults. Yes, there is. And it is interesting to me that that is like, because I remember this from being a boy child, that like roasts and like violence are one of the few ways in which you're allowed to have intimacy with your friends. That makes sense. Like. That checks out for our culture. I don't. I don't think I realized it then, but I had a friend of mine who, like, we were very close, and we fought a lot, like, every time we were together, and 
I genuinely think that it was like an intimacy thing. It was like that was the way in which we were allowed to be like physically affectionate. Right. And I, it just feels so sad to me that masculinity can be such a prison that it, you know, doesn't allow for even, you know, for even like kind words, much less like physical intimacy the same in the way that is like okay for like afab children yeah no it's terrifying and you know like you said earlier we already have such a problem with violence in this country and in this culture and i think a big reason we have that obsession with violence is because we for such a large pop for such a large part of the population violence is an intimate act right and is a way to show intimacy with other people. Mm-hmm. And it should not be. <laughs> right. Like, I, I don't know how else to break it down than, like, well, these two things should not be correlated with each other. Yeah, it's like you see a guy walk up to his friend at the end of a bar, and he punches his buddy in the shoulder. Right. Right? Like, you see a woman do the same thing, and she hugs her friend. Right. Right. Like, it just feels so sad that men aren't allowed to, like, hug each other in the same... It's so funny, too, like, as a female comic, it's so... I I always think about this because, like, I don't mind hugging my friends, but every male comic I meet wants to hug me. Ew. And no male comics hug each other. No. They only hug the women, and they shake hands with the men. That's gross. And it's a thing I've noticed, watch out for it now when you're in like yeah. spaces, because I've noticed it a lot where men will go out of their way to hug women and then go out of their way to avoid intimacy in as much as they can with the men in this situation. It's really uncomfortable, especially as a person who like does, I do genuinely like a hug. I would really like you to hug me. But it feels gross that like, uh, I don't know. It feels gross. It feels gross There's no that just, it's a gendered thing. You don't have to justify it. It feels gross. <laughs> it feels gross. <laughs> Men are like, one, I wonder if it is a, not just a like sexist way to get hands on women because that's that's definitely i mean when you're talking about men you have to always account for that right exactly but also that women have learned women are safe right and like they are a safe space where you can show that affection and have that interaction right and not be judged for it right and especially i mean with the kinds of comics that i tend to hang out with like i genuinely think that that is what they're expressing is like and especially like the type of comic that i am right i genuinely get the sense that like people come to me knowing that i'm like a person who is safe emotionally right and so like i just but i just feel sad for those men that they don't have more access to that kind of connection that's terrifying and that the way people flirt with me has changed as i've transitioned Mm, interesting and especially the way masculine people flirt with me yeah and it has become more violent the more masculine i pass which has been a weird thing to transition into and like to like understand of male culture right to see how much my perceived womanhood was protecting me from said violence is terrifying mm, yeah. that it is how people read you as simple as that is what's keeping you from people insulting you constantly because they think right. that is a way to show affection. Right. Because for men it is, it is. And it's gross. It's really gross. Yeah. And I don't understand how it's appealing. Like as I'm, yeah, I mean, I, you know, I love a roast. I love, like, but so. there, but it's not, like, I do too. Like, I don't, like, but when you roast someone, especially, like, when you roast someone, it's, you know, it's out of love. And it's, like, there is a, like, yeah. sense of you understand who the person is you're right. roasting. Right. Where when some random dude on Tinder insults you, it's not a, like, ha, 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 look, I've made an observation about you. Right. And it's, no, I'm trying to hurt your feelings so you think that I'm the dominant one here. Yeah. It doesn't have the same level of, like, love and understanding. Exactly. That it does. Like, when I roast you, it is from a level of, like, 
I perceive you on a deep level that proves to you how mu- how well I know you, and I'm going to use that fact to turn you inside out and spill your guts on the floor. Exactly. Should we do a lightning round? Let's do a lightning round. Because it's baby Will Wheaton in this movie. Of course, yeah. I like couldn't get it out of my head that this is some like random hollow part, uh, <laughs> yeah. hollow projection that he runs on the Enterprise when he's bored. Yeah. Because he would. Totally. He's very lonely. <laughs> yeah. I, now you get him. At one point, um, uh, Gordy turns to Chris, I think, and he's like, am I weird? <laughs> Which, like, I really feel as, like, a trans and autistic person, like, I really feel that, like, having that vague notion that you are strange and different from the people around Absolutely. you, but like not being able to put your finger on how and why. Absolutely. It's a frustrating feeling. It's a very frustrating feeling. But to answer your question, yes, you are weird. <laughs> I know. I have always wanted like a treehouse secret base like they have. Right? I'm oh. so jealous. Of this treehouse secret base. I've always wanted a treehouse. I've never been able to have a treehouse. They seem fun. Right? They seem great. They seem like the ultimate fort. Yeah, it's the ultimate. Yeah, exactly. I do just want to get high up there, though. Oh, That's 100% hella. what I want. I just want to hotbox a treehouse. <laughs> yeah. I don't think you can hotbox a treehouse because I don't think it seals generally. I'm willing way. to try. <laughs> If you do your job right as a parent, you do not have to question your f- child's judgment of other people, and you don't have to question the type of people they are friends with. That's a great point. Because at one point, Gordy's dad asks him, like, why couldn't you have friends like your brother? Right. Because Chris and Vern and Teddy are kind of known for being bad influences. Like, yeah. Um. At least Teddy and Chris are. And... Maybe if you trusted your kid, you would be like, okay, apparently my kids see something in these kids and there's something there. Maybe I should give them a fucking chance. Yeah, right. I think it does, like a lot of these parenting things, it does kind of belie a lack of confidence in preparing your children for the future. Like, I think a lot of this protectiveness stuff is basically just an admission that you know you haven't done enough to prepare your child to live in the world and have good judgment about people uh, and about how to go about their life. And so, therefore, you'd rather just, like, circumvent teaching them that lesson and just try and do it for them. Yeah. That but they have to learn at some point, and, like, they're only just going to get hurt when you're not around. Exactly. So, you know... Brace your children the first time around so they don't have to do it themselves as adults. This movie says faggot an awful lot. It takes a whole 30 minutes to get to the first one, though. Yeah, it's tough. Like, I get that this movie is set in the 50s, but But it was made in the 80s. It says it a lot. And again, we have this like, oh, it's authentic bullshit of like, well, if it's authentic, why make it? Right, like maybe authenticity is not the height of like artistic merit. Right. You know, like maybe some things are worth not being accurate so that they don't make people want to crawl out of their skin. Those kids were oddly clean for walking through the woods for two days. <laughs> yeah. You can skip the faggots. Yeah. Yeah, we got it. it's it's a movie. We got it. It's fictional. It did none of this is none of this really happened. We're fine. Are you really friends if you haven't at least helped your friend stop at a suicide attempt at least once? (laughs) Yeah. Well, when you have mentally ill friends, that's par for the course. Teddy just standing in front of the train was a fucking move. Yeah. That's the choice. Yeah, I think it's interesting the way this movie deals with life and death. Like, I think one of the central sort of themes here is, like, the juxtaposition of the sort of invincibility of childhood. Absolutely. With the 
sort of omnipresent specter of death. Yeah. Right? Where, like, Gordy's life is touched by death. Like, you know, Teddy knows that his dad is, like, a, a war hero or whatever, which comes with it its own, like, right. violent connotation. And, you know, and then at the end, when we're having this, like, childhood adventure, and then they find this dead kid, and suddenly it's, like, they all realize that it's not an adventure, right? right. And they have this sort of, like, growing up instantaneous moment of, like, right, death happens, and a lot of times it happens, like, way too young and unexpectedly, and it's fucking awful, and there's nothing you can do about it. Yeah. It's a, like, I really want to read the story. I haven't read the story. Yeah. And I feel like a lot of the, like, perp- the a lot of the, like, choices behind how the stories works with death and like understands death could really grow in a in the story versus the movie totally since when is 180 pounds really fat what what is this in so, the context of in the context of uh gordy's pie eating story oh right he they describe the main character as like absurdly large right and like he mentions the pound like he's like 180 pounds and then the but isn't he supposed to be a kid yes but like a hundred like i don't know i guess for like a high school age kid like that's not an insane amount it's not unheard of and like given i also like most of my children are like larger human beings right so like i'm not used to like my littles anymore which like i get but like the way that it was described just made my like everything about yeah just crawl because like also you can have the exact same scene without mentioning a specific weight and making everyone above that weight feel awful about themselves yeah exactly yeah yeah as a person who was over 180 pounds in high school like that doesn't feel great no same same I also just like don't get competitive eating on any level. I don't understand its appeal. It does seem like fundamentally pretty gross. I like I get why a teenage boy would tell said story, but totally. like it teenage was, boys love gross shit and they seem gross. Yeah. So that's you that, know. I just don't get it. I think this movie hits on a an another fundamental feeling of childhood and I kinda wish that it had a little bit more to say about it. So I'm going to say something about it, about the pain and loss and grief that accompanies like losing your childhood friends. Yeah. Especially these early childhood friends that you have a lot of these like first experiences with and this like exploration time with before you have to like think about being adults Like, you just never have that kind of connection again. No, you don't. And as you turn into adults, you know, a lot of the times you realize that, like, you're not actually similar anymore and you have to let those friendships go. But it always feels bad. There's always this, like, little sense of void of, like, I wish someone remembered me from that time. I don't know if this is a hot take, but feel like friend breakups are worse than romantic breakups totally and i remember being absolutely devastated when i lost one of my best friends in elementary school because we got in a fight because we weren't you know like we weren't similar enough anymore and we just like didn't connect anymore and we got into a fight and you know did the classic like well then we're not going to be best friends anymore right and I just remember, like, my world shattered. Yeah. Because, like, it's your first taste of rejection as a small child. Yeah. And on a level that's, like, so genuinely you. Yeah. That it's absolutely earth-shattering. Yeah. And I don't think that it... I don't think we have the same concept, really, of, like, friendships ending in that way. In the same way that when you get into a romantic relationship, there's kind of always, I mean, maybe there isn't for other people, but for me there is. Maybe this, maybe I'm telling on myself. There's kind of that knowledge in the back of your head that like 
this will probably end at some point. Right. Which, like, I don't know that I've ever had that thought with a friendship. I've never made friends with someone and then thought, like, one day we will break up and stop talking to each other and then we will no longer be friends, you know? Yeah. Even though that happens all the time. It does. Especially as an adult. Right. Especially as an adult when you just get busy and people just drift away and it's not even, it doesn't even have to be like a fight thing. Right. It's just like like people just suddenly disappear. Yeah. And yeah, it's, you're just left. It's like losing a tooth and you're just like stuck focused on this hole that you can't fill. Yeah. I feel like especially when like, Especially when you're like the end of elementary school into early middle school, like those friendships are so important Mm -hmm. and so unique to us as human beings Mm -hmm. that when we lose them, even if it's gradual or if it's like abruptly, it's hard to like figure out what it means and how to go forward with that. 